Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much for your holy word. Lord, we want to thank you so much that we can be here at Discover Prophecy and that we can study the Bible together each night, Lord. And we pray that you, your Holy Spirit would be here with us as we study tonight, that you would give us understanding, Lord, and that you would draw us close to you is our prayer. And we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you were to look, uh, if you were to see Earth from space, you'd likely look down on a planet that, uh, and you would think that everything looks peaceful and well. Astronaut Scott Kelly at one time, he was the commander of the International Space Station, and he said this. He said, we have a unique vantage point here aboard the International Space Station. As I look out the window, I see a very beautiful planet that seems very inviting and peaceful. But unfortunately, it's not. And friends, he was sure right about that, isn't he? Mm -hmm. This planet isn't peaceful at all. There is war, there is strife, and there is unrest. Last weekend, we saw some of the signs of the second coming of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 24. We've seen that many of those signs are being fulfilled with greater frequency and greater intensity than ever before. Another one of those signs that's mentioned in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, says, Jesus said this, he said, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will do what? It will grow cold. Now friends, does lawlessness abound in our world today? Yes. Indeed it does. It's evident that the love of many has grown cold. Back in 2015, uh, 2015, in Charleston, South Carolina, worshipers went to church at a midweek prayer service. You guys remember hearing about this? And while they were there worshiping God in a place that was supposed to be safe, a deranged man came in and shot and killed nine people, including the pastor. Just two months ago, you, this is probably more familiar to you, uh, 26-year-old Devin Kelly walked into the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, and killed 24 people and hospitalized 19. It was the largest mass shooting in Texas history, and it was the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history at a place of worship. And friends, it happened in a town the size of Onalaska. It was absolutely tragic, friends. It seems like crime and violence are everywhere in our world today, even in places where you don't expect it. It's in the workplace. It's in schools. It's even in churches and shopping malls. It's not just organized crime. More and more we read about these lone wolf attacks, young and old, often without a criminal record, going on shooting sprees, killing multiple victims at a time. Why is such crime on the rise? What's behind the lawlessness and violence that we see in our world today? What has happened to our world? Well, in the Western world, it seems like there's a whole new generation of young people that have emerged, youth that are questioning, skeptical, and challenging. And who are the role models for our young people in this world today, friends? Many times it's the movie stars, right? It's the athletes, it's the entertainers who are living for eternity? No, they're living for the moment, aren't they? They're living for the pleasures of this life. They want to make it to the top of the charts. They want to, you know, be the best player. They they're thinking only really about themselves, not eternity, friends. And sadly, sometimes kids even watch their parents lie or steal when it's convenient to do so. 
And sadly, friends, many churches in this country today are teaching that God's laws no longer apply. And some teach that the Ten Commandments have been completely abolished, or that they're no longer relevant for us today. Some even teach that the Ten Commandments are impossible for us to keep. Friends, our world is in a very sad state of affairs. Without moral guidance, many people are just doing their own thing, and society is reaping a harvest of broken homes, uncontrolled children, and violent crimes. In the words of Hosea the prophet, he said, They sow the wind, and they reap the whirlwind. Friends, our media has been sowing the wind of violence in the media, and we've been reaping the whirlwind of crime. We've been sowing immorality on TV, and we've been reaping the whirlwind of divorce. We've been sowing explicit sexual content on TV, and now we're reaping the whirlwind of people with twisted minds that are preying on our children. Friends, there is a cause and effect relationship to this. The Bible says, by beholding, we become changed. But the question we must ask um, is who determines when a situation is right or wrong? Because isn't the moral judgment of even good people often imperfect at times? So what is our moral standard? Well, the Bible reminds us that we are not good judges of what is right and wrong. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The fact is, is that our natural hearts often really don't want to know the truth about right and wrong. The Apostle Paul predicted that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to what? Fables. To fables. Friends, are we living in this time? Mm -hmm. yeah. I believe so. Many people don't want to hear the truth, and instead they want to hear pleasing things. They want to hear fables. And you hear about this prosperity gospel on TV that God just wants everybody to be rich. Things like this, friends, fables. But friends, we want to be people of this book. Amen? Amen. We want to be people that are 100% committed to Jesus Christ and committed to His Word. Amen. We want to follow the Lamb wherever He leads us. Amen? Amen. But it's sad to say, though, unfortunately our society is discovering that we do not get freedom by throwing out the rules. But it should be no surprise to anyone that if you remove the standard of right and wrong, chaos will result. For example, if you removed all the traffic signs and all the, the road signals, there would be chaos on our roads and highways, wouldn't there? It would be awful. No, friends, true freedom isn't found in getting rid of all the rules. We don't prosper when we forget the foundations of a prosperous society. We saw last weekend that we are living in what the Bible calls the judgment hour. We looked at Revelation 14, 7, which says, Fear God. It's this end-time message that says to fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. So friends, we saw last weekend that we are living in this time period of the, uh, of the final judgment of Earth's history. And so tonight we're going to look and see what God's standard of judging is. James chapter 2, verse 12 tells us what that standard is. It says, so speak and so do, 
as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Friends, God's law of liberty is his standard in this judgment that's going on. It's his holy law of love. And during this judgment hour that's taking place right now, God directs his attention, the attention of his people to his holy law. Look at what it says here in Revelation 11, verse 19. It says, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Now notice that this temple is not an earthly temple. It's in heaven, the Bible says. And we saw last weekend that there was an earthly sanctuary that was modeled after the heavenly sanctuary. God showed Moses the pattern, and Moses built this, the, the earthly sanctuary according to the pattern that God had given him, which was the pattern of the one in heaven. And we also saw last weekend that Jesus is our high priest, and he's ministering in the heavenly sanctuary for us right now, and he's there for us. Amen? He's there for you, and he's there for me. Now, in the earthly sanctuary, we, we saw that the Ark of the Covenant was located in, was it located in the holy place or the most holy place? Most. It was in the most holy place. It, and in the most holy place, it, was there, it contained the law of God. And it was the basis for all morality, and it was the basis for all judgment. That law was the Ten Commandments. God's law of love and his law of liberty. Now, God gave humanity his divine law so that they would know how to live in peace and safety. So that man would know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And knowing how forgetful we can be, we're all forgetful at times, aren't we? I know these days that if I want to get something done, I need to write it down. Because I will be very likely to forget. Like if you go to the grocery store, do you make a list? Most of you probably make a list because you don't want to forget. And so God wrote the Ten Commandments out for us, friends, because it was something he wanted us to remember and follow. God wrote it out on two tables of stone, and he did it with his own finger, the Bible says. In, in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, the Bible says, And when he had made an end of speaking with him, that is, God was speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he, that is, God gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So friends, God did this right after he had just delivered Israel from Egypt. Mm -hmm. So let's take a look at the Ten Commandments quickly as found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. And if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, you're welcome to turn there. We'll also have it on the screen too. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Commandment 1 says, You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment 2. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to how many? Thousands. To thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Commandment 3, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Do you hear people doing this a lot in our society today, friends? Yes. Absolutely. Commandment number 4 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you should labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is what? It's the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. 
You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servants, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Commandment number five. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Commandment six, you shall not murder. Commandment seven, you shall not commit adultery. Commandment eight, you shall not steal. Commandment nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And commandment ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Not his iPhone, not his car, not his... <laughs> you, you, you fill in the blank there. Nor anything that is your neighbor's, the Bible says. So there it is, friends. That is the Ten Commandments. And even though this was the first time that God had given his law in written form, it had existed from all eternity. The eternal, unchangeable standard of morality had been the basis of God's heavenly government. And we saw last weekend in our third presentation that there was a war that took place. We read about it in Revelation chapter 12. A war that took place in heaven. We saw that Lucifer wanted to be like the Most High. Not in character. He didn't want to be like God in character. He wanted to be like God in power and authority. He wanted to rule heaven. He wanted to implement his own rules instead of following the rules of God's government. We also saw last weekend, that God is a God of love. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. And that love is the foundation of God's government. We saw that Lucifer rejected that love. He rejected the love of God, and he and one-third of, of the angels of heaven rebelled against the government, government of God and were eventually kicked out of heaven. Then when you look at the book of Genesis, you see evidence that Adam and Eve also had a knowledge of the law of God, even in the Garden of Eden. Because after they sinned, they felt the emotions of shame, they felt the emotions of guilt. And when Cain became angry because God had accepted Abel's offerings and not his, God came to him. He came to him personally and warned him in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you shall rule over it. You see, friends, God's law had to be in effect by this time. For we are told in Romans chapter 4, verse 15, For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 affirms this saying, Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And transgression is an act of breaking the law. So if, if there had been no law, then Lucifer, Adam and Eve, and Cain would have done nothing wrong. Instead, they would have remained in a sinless state. But we know that that didn't happen, right? We Humanity was plunged into this sin-filled world. So let's look at a few more Old Testament examples of the law being there in the Old Testament. 
Scripture tells us that Abraham also knew about the law of God and that he obeyed the law of God long before it was given on Mount Sinai. Genesis chapter 26, verse 5, the Bible says, Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. We also see that Joseph knew that adultery was sin. And in Genesis chapter 39, verse 9, he said to Potiphar's wife, who was trying to seduce him, he said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He knew God's law, friends. He knew that, that the commandment said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And he did not want to sin against God by doing that act. He knew, that, he knew what God's standard of right and wrong was. And he firmly determined that he would not transgress God's holy law. Then we see the example of the children of Israel. The children of Israel had been instructed to serve and obey God, but during their cruel captivity there in Egypt, they had forgotten God's law. But after the Exodus, just a short time before they got to Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments in written form, the Lord actually rebuked Moses and the Israelites because they were breaking the Sabbath by attempting to gather manna on the Sabbath day. The Bible tells us this in Exodus chapter 16, verse 28 and 30. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So the people rested on the seventh day. So here we see that the fourth commandment was known even before the commandments were written down on Mount Sinai with God's own finger. Yes, God's law is the eternal standard of right for the universe. And really, should it surprise us that God has a law that governs his kingdom? Nope. No harmonious, happy society and safe society can function without laws and rules. Imagine how terrible our country would be if we had absolutely no rules. It would be total chaos and total anarchy. So is it any surprise that God's government should also have rules? In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, the, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, For God is not the author of confusion, or other translations say, disorder. So God is not the author of confusion or disorder, but of peace. Now the New Testament does not do away with the law of God, friends. Instead, it actually helps us to understand the reason for the existence of the law, and how we can actually obey God's commandments. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 15. He said, If you love me, keep my commandments. In fact, Jesus pointed out that love is the basis for keeping all of the commandments. We keep the commandments not in order to be saved, but because we love Jesus. Amen? Amen. And we want to do the things that please him. And in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus actually quotes from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And he says this, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All. all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So friends, if we truly love God with all our hearts and with all our minds and with all of our soul, we will certainly express that love by keeping the first four commandments, right? 
And, 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 and by keeping the first four commandments, the first commandment, we will show that God is number one in our lives, right? By putting, by having no other gods before the true God of heaven. Number two, the second commandment, our worship will be reserved for God alone. Commandment three, we will respect and reverence God's holy name. And the fourth commandment, we will be excited about keeping our appointment with God each and every week. And if we really love our fellow men and neighbors as ourselves, we will surely respect and honor our parents. God wants us to respect and honor our parents. Amen? Mm -hmm. Even when we're young and also when we are old. God also wants us to value human life from beginning all the way to the end of life. God also wants us to preserve morality. He wants us to be respectful of the property of others. He wants us to be honest in our relationship with others. And he, he doesn't want us to covet that which belongs to someone else. So as you can see, friends, the Ten Commandments are amazingly concise yet comprehensive principles for us to live by. People estimate that man has drafted over 35 million laws to control human behavior. That's a lot of laws, isn't it? Yes, it is. But in the Ten Commandments, God gives us ten principles that truly cover all of human behavior. Only God could write such a perfect law. Amen? Amen. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 19, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Perhaps the reason that the law is perfect is because it's a reflection of the very person of God. Being a perfect law, it can never be altered. And in fact, how can you improve upon perfection anyways? You can't. You can't improve upon perfection. Just like God doesn't change, so the principles of his law do not change. They remain the same for all time and in all places. That's why Jesus said this in Luke chapter 16, verse 17. He said, It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one little tittle, that is, one little tiny part of the law, to fail. Some may feel that the Ten Commandments restrict their happiness. But friends, it's actually the exact opposite. God never meant for His law to be a burden or to restrict our happiness. On the contrary, God intended His law to be a wall of protection, shielding us from sorrow and shielding us from guilt. He intended that his law would guarantee everyone's freedom and safety. Amen. God said this in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. He said, Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children for how long? Amen. Forever. Friends, just as we build guardrails on bridges and mountain roads to protect us from danger, God gave us His law to protect us and to guard us on this road of life. But there's also another reason that God gave us His law. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says that by the law is a knowledge of sin. Later in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul said this, he said, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. So friends, God's law is actually like a mirror. It shows us our condition. And we may not like what we see in the mirror, but destroying the law or ignoring it won't change our condition, will it? 
God's law points out our sin, but it also helps us to feel the need, our great need, of the Savior. For while it shows us the problems in our hearts and in our lives, the law cannot give us power to overcome sin or to remove guilt. Only God can do that. Amen. No amount of good that we do in the future will erase the sin committed in the past. How then can we receive forgiveness? How can we be saved from the penalty of the broken law, which is death? Well, friends, at the very gates of the Garden of Eden, God instituted a graphic reminder of what sin brings, and that is, sin brings death. An innocent lamb was to be sacrificed to show the faith of the sinner and God's plan to save humanity. And as we saw last weekend, the lamb that pointed, that lamb pointed forward to who? Jesus. To Jesus Christ, the true lamb of God who would take man's punishment and suffer his death. This was God's way of helping Adam and Eve understand how the Son of God must die to satisfy the claims of God's broken law. Friends, this was the only way that man could be restored because the law certainly couldn't save him. Humanity needed a savior. In fact, God's law, if God's law could have been abolished or changed, then Jesus would not have needed to die. And Calvary would have been completely unnecessary. The Apostle Paul said this. He said in Galatians 3.21, If there had been a law which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So friends, if the law could have saved us, Christ wouldn't have had to die. But if the principles of the law weren't very important, then, then they could have just been changed, right? And man's sin could have been excused. But friends, that wasn't possible because they are the principles of God's very character. God in his love and mercy found a way to save man that was in perfect harmony with heaven's principles. Christ's perfect sacrifice doesn't do away with the law, as some say. But, but you do hear people out there sometimes that say, well, the law has been done away with. Well, think about that for a moment, friends. Let's think about that logic. If you say that the law has been done away with, if there is no law, then there is no sin. Because 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 tells us that sin is transgression of the law. And if there is no law, then we do not need grace. Since grace is God's loving mercy when we have broken God's law. And if we don't need grace, then we can do away with the cross. There's no need for it, right? If there is no need for the cross, then we don't need a Savior. Friends, you can't do away with the law of God. Amen? Yes. Because if you do away with the law, you also do away with sin and the need for grace, the cross, and the Savior. But friends, the cross is an eternal reminder of the price that God paid, he was, that he was willing to pay to satisfy the claims of God's broken law and to save guilty humanity. If God's law could have been abolished or changed, then Jesus would not have needed to die. And Calvary would have been completely unnecessary. But God couldn't ignore our sins, friends. He couldn't ignore our sin. And he couldn't change his holy and perfect law. So sinful man needed a Savior. Praise the Lord Amen. that there was a Savior that came. 
And he died the death that you and I deserve to die, friends. But praise God that he came to be our substitute and to become our Savior. Amen. Make no mistake, friends, we are not saved by works. Amen? Amen? We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now some may ask, well, if we are saved by grace, then are we free to live a life of disobedience? Absolutely not, friends. That makes absolutely no sense. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Suppose a man is in prison for killing a police officer. This is becoming more common in our world today, isn't it? I think just uh, even this, maybe last week or two, there was a police officer that was, um, I think there was a memorial service up in Seattle, if I remember correctly. It was in Tacoma. Tacoma, thank you. Thank you. And it's becoming more common in our world today, unfortunately. So imagine this man is in prison for, for committing this act, and if he receives pardon and is set free, does that mean that he's now free to go out and to kill as many uh, police officers as he wants? No. Absolutely not. Of course not. But because he is pardoned, he will want to obey the law more than ever before. And friends, as we accept pardon from Christ, he provides forgiveness for our sins and the power to keep God's commandments. For he promised to fulfill the new covenant in us. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, it describes the new covenant experience that God wants each and every one of us to have, saying, I, that is God, I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts. Friends, that's what God wants to do for us. Amen? He wants to write his law in our minds and in our hearts. Friends, it's easy to do something when you love to do it, right? And that is what the Lord promised to those who choose to follow him. He will write his law in their mind and in their heart so that they will love to keep God's law. That's the only way that we're going to be able to keep God's law and, and to follow God at all. Friends, it was because of Christ's love for his Father that he was able to keep his commandments. For Jesus said this, he said, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So here we see, friends, that Christ kept the commandments. And friends, if they were good enough for Jesus, they should be good enough for us. Amen? In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus once again says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Here, Jesus asks us to show our love for him by keeping his commandments. And friends, in the last days, which I believe we're living in right now, the last days. The book of Revelation describes that God will have an end-time people who are faithful and who keep the commandments of God. Revelation chapter 14, 12 describes this end-time group of people. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Amen. But evidently, friends, it will not be easy in the last days, and it won't always be popular to keep the commandments of God. But John the Revelator saw that God's last day people would be keeping the commandments even in the face of persecution. 
In Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, it says, And the dragon was wroth, or angry, or enraged with the woman, that is the church, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Friends, why will they be keeping the commandments of God in, in the last days? Is it because they want to save themselves? Absolutely not. Is it because they're legalists? No. no, absolutely not. Friends, it's because they love Jesus and they want to do what pleases Him. Friends, the greatest demonstration of love and obedience to the will of God was vividly portrayed one dark, cold night under an olive tree in a garden. With great drops of blood trickling down His face, the Son of God prayed. And He said this, He said, Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And the fate of the human race hung in the balance. A guilty world was about to either be saved or lost. Jesus could have wiped the sweat from his brow and he could have said, let the sinner suffer the consequences of his own sins. Or he could carry the cross for us. And friends, I'm so glad that he made the choice to die for our sins. Amen. Amen. He shed his blood so that we could be pardoned, so that we could be forgiven and made right with God. He died the death that was ours so that we could live eternally with him. And he did it all because of love. And I don't know about you, friends, but that love does something in my heart. It does something in my heart. When I see that love that God has for me and for his children here on this earth, it awakens love in my heart for him. Amen. And friends, in these last days, God's people will love him so much that they will want to do all that he asks of them. They will want to show their love to God by doing God's will. They will want to live the way that Jesus lived. They will want to walk in the path that Jesus walked. They will want to make the principles of heaven the principles that they live by. And they will want to follow the simple request of Jesus, if you love me, keep my commandments. Is that your desire tonight, friends? Amen. Do you want to love the one who first loved you? Amen. Do you want to make his principles your own? God. Jesus wants to write his law, his principles in your hearts, and he wants to make them an actual part of who you are. He wants to give you grace and power to keep his law. You may feel weak, friends, and we are all weak, but Jesus is strong. Amen? Praise God. No matter how many times you've failed in the past, Jesus invites you to begin anew with him today. How many of you want God to write his law of love in your heart tonight? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that you love us so much, Lord, that you left heaven to come and die for us. Lord, for our sins, Lord, we are all guilty. Lord, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, we've all transgressed your law, Lord, countless times. But Lord, we are so thankful, Lord, that we can come to you in, in humbleness and in sincerity and repentance, Lord, asking for forgiveness for the times that we have fallen short, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts, Lord, that we would see your love afresh tonight, Lord, that you, that you died, Lord, to save us from our sins. And Lord, we pray that you would be with each one of us, Lord. I pray that, that if there's someone struggling with something right now, Lord, in their life, some sin 
that they've been holding on to, Lord, that, that they would surrender that to you tonight. Lord, that they could find and experience your forgiveness and your power, Lord, to set them free from the sin that so easily ensnares us. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to keep you in our thoughts always, Lord, that we would dwell upon your goodness and your mercy toward us. And Father, we've seen tonight, Lord, that your law is unchanged, Father. We, we see that, that your law still applies to us today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would write your law in our hearts so that we love it. We pray, Lord, that you would write it in our minds, Lord, that we would be able to live according to its principles. And Lord, most importantly, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come into our hearts, Lord, that you would empower us to be true Christ followers, Lord, that we could be a light in this world. Lord, we've seen here in your word, in the book of Revelation, Father, that you will have an end-time people that keep the commandments. And Lord, we want to be among that number. We want to be among that number in these last days. So Lord, we pray that you would do whatever it takes in our lives, Lord, and live through us, Lord. Empower us, give us the strength each day, Lord. We love you. Pray, Lord, for your blessing to continue to be upon us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.